everybody. It's Montel here. And thanks so much for tuning into this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. And I am so excited about having an opportunity to talk to the guests that I have on today. But before I do, I want to kind of back up a little bit. I know I've talked about it quite a bit um, on Free Thinking whenever anybody's asked me about my journey with MS. But I thought maybe let me just do it again just to summarize because I think it'll help our guests and it'll also help you get an understanding for what's going on with me. I got to tell you, my most asked question, I did a live VA uh, event. Uh, Veterans Day event this last week uh, for a huge corporation that had, I'm told had a couple thousand people watching live. And, you know, I did a presentation on the VA and our veterans and our plight of our veterans and what's going on with them right now. And after I answered maybe three questions about how I feel about military service, you know, I had a slew of questions that came in asking me, Montel, how are you doing with your MS? Montel, what do you do for your MS? Montel, what kind of diet are you on for your MS? I get that question everywhere I go. And I am telling you, it's no burden. I appreciate you asking. And first off, I will tell you that I have been doing well. Uh, secondly, I will say that it's not a burden. And I appreciate you asking me questions because I think the more and more we share what we learn for ourselves, the more and more we share with others is really why we learned it to begin with. It's not just for us individually. And so let me just uh, back up for, uh, for a second and, and take you on a little journey with me. I was first diagnosed, or I should have been first diagnosed with MS back in 1980, 40 years ago. And, you, and it's really crazy that my official diagnosis didn't come for 20 years later. And that was after having seen, I'm telling you, uh, probably 20 different doctors and being, being uh, prodded and poked and pinned and MRI'd and CAT scanned over a 20 year period of time while I was in the military, I just kept being misdiagnosed. And why? Because if you take a look at some of the information and data that was available back in 1980, I did not fit the, you know, taught profile of an MS patient. As a matter of fact, the majority of papers that were written and documents written back in 1980 when I suffered my first episode or bout that was misdiagnosed, you know, most of the medical journals and doctor and, and information that was fed to doctors across the country was that MS was a disease of Caucasian women of Northern European descent. And no one decided to look even one step further in the fact that I am biracial. My mother happens to be, well, I'm sorry, I'm quarter racial. My mother happens to be biracial. Her mother was a woman from Scotland who now we know later on in life developed some sort of neurological disorder that nobody ever talked about. Nobody knew what it was. But, you know, I don't know, was it MS or not? I don't know. But I do know that I probably had the genetic predisposition to this illness throughout my entire life. I'm, you know, at the Naval Academy and I had been at the Naval Academy for four years in 1980, getting ready to graduate with my class in 1980. And was given what we routinely do and what the military was routinely doing back then, my pre-commissioning immunizations, inoculations. And back then, they were given to people in the military using a gun. And it was this gun that they would set a load for, and psh, where you, every guy would step up. I know you've seen them in old-fashioned movies. A person would step up in a line, and psh, they shoot you in the arm, and that's your inoculation, move on. Next guy, psh. well, it wasn't until after they shot a hundred of us. And I unfortunately happened to be in that first group of hundred that someone realized that the gun had been set almost three and a half to four times higher than it was supposed to be. 
for a particular immunization that happened to be diphtheria typhoid. And back then they gave diphtheria typhoid together. And it immediately elicited a extremely uh, virulent uh, immune response in me. I literally almost went blind in my left eye, uh, was suffering some neurological symptoms that no one could explain. I was rushed to Walter Reed, but I'm sorry, to Bethesda at the time because I was in the Navy. Rushed to Bethesda. First, they, they took me through the Naval Academy Hospital. They couldn't understand what was going on. Then I went to Bethesda. They didn't understand what was going on. Then they moved me over to Walter Reed. They didn't understand what was going on. Then I was sent up to Johns Hopkins in Maryland. They didn't know what was going on. I was then sent to the Wells Eye Clinic in Philadelphia. They didn't know what was going on. Nobody could figure out what's going on with this dude and why. Because at the time, I'm four years, I, I had been six years in the military at this point in time. And, you know, I'm not, you know, patting myself on the back, but I was an extremely athletic person involved in a lot of weightlifting and involved in a lot of bodybuilding. And so I was walking around, you know, with a weighing 185 pounds with a 20 inch waist, I'm sorry, with a uh, 28 inch waist. And um, I was ripped to shreds. You know, I had just, you know, uh, passed all of my physical fitness tests at the Naval Academy, you know, with almost a perfect score. I was probably two points below a perfect score. And um, because of that, you know, I'd walk in a doctor's office and his first thought was, you, you know, some of these symptoms are weird because it seems like you could have MS, but no, you can't. You're a black guy. Nah, I can't be MS because you're in too good a shape. Nah, I can't be MS. You're too young. And I got that over and over and over again for 20 years. And meanwhile, during that 20 year period of time, I literally was suffering aperiodically. I can't put a finger on the periodicity. It could have been every seven or eight months. It could have been every five or six months. It could have been once a year because I don't really know because I wasn't getting the information from the doctors when I go see them. Nothing's wrong with you. You're lifting too much weight. Da, da, da. But I was literally experiencing some you know, neurological anomalies that no one could explain. But doctors attempted to explain it, and I should back up and say, again, I was a member of the powerlifting team at the Naval Academy and fancy myself a powerlifter for, you know, I don't know, almost 30 years. I literally, there was one point in time when, um, you know, I don't say it to brag, uh, but, you know, I was deadlifting, you know, right around, I could deadlift over 600 pounds out of a rack, but I was deadlifting off the floor, you know, clearing for, uh contest worthy clearances, uh, 585. I was bench pressing about, you know, 360. I was squatting on my back, 585 pounds for good clean squats and then squatting out of a rack for 620 pounds. So I was, you know, which I now pay for at the age of 64, because I'm about a three quarters of an inch shorter than I was back then from putting all that stupid weight on my back. But bottom line is I kept being misdiagnosed because doctors and I'm not saying it as an aspersion, but, you know, doctors literally couldn't get out of their own way. They couldn't get out of the textbooks that were in front of them. They wouldn't believe that there was something else out there that they didn't understand. So they just said, no, it can't be. And then in 1980, or sorry, in year 2000, after I started my talk show back in 91, and I know a lot of you know this because I announced it on my show, you know, uh, 1999, really, I went through an episode or with how MS is characterized at a bout that literally turned my world upside down. 
that bout uh, started with extreme neuropathic pain in my lower extremities, my side, my face, my, my, uh, I had left side weakness. I, um, you know, some of my optic neuritis came back and with a, with a vengeance and um, I had nystagmus and lots of other weird things going on. I went to see a doctor, got a preliminary diagnosis and then this doctor literally did, did it in a way that, that just threw me, uh, kind of walked in and said, you know, I think you have a mask. You need to go get that looked at again, see if somebody else confirms what I'm thinking, but I think that's what you have. And then just walked out. So I went to Harvard, you know, visited what I thought was the, you know, number one place in the country and uh, finally got diagnosed with MS after they reviewed years worth of MRIs and, you know, did an, an office, you know, neurological exam and I was diagnosed with MS and remitting relapsing and have been on a regimen and on a journey since 1980 when I got it confirmed to see if I could do as much as I could do to help mitigate the symptoms of my illness and thrive with the illness, not just survive with the illness, but thrive with the illness. And, you know, I think I've done a fairly decent job, but, you know, we can always do a better job. And that's why I'm so excited to have the guest on with me today. And our guest today is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa. She's an IMF trained physician, an educator, a researcher, and she's an MS patient herself. She was depended on a tilt reclined wheelchair for four years due to her multiple sclerosis until she reclaimed her health by using diet and lifestyle program. She now actually, you know, bikes to work every day. She's a part of, she has her own, you know, healthy training program. Uh, it's the Dr. Walls product protocol and is an autoimmune protocol that has transformed the lives of thousands of people across the globe, not just here in the United States and has changed the direction of dietary and health behavioral research for neurological and autoimmune conditions, including MS. Dr. Walls, I can't say thank you enough for being a part of Free Thinking today. Oh, thank you so much for uh, having me. Yes, ma'am. I, 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 you, you started off uh, with a bachelor's degree in fine arts. <laughs> what made you decide to change that over and go into medicine? You know, uh, originally I was going to switch over and go into veterinary medicine, uh, say, uh, decided uh, that I uh, love science, I love rural America, I love my farm. Uh, and along the way, I uh, decided that I would get into uh, human medicine instead. You know, it, it, ironically, when I started uh, and I met all of my colleagues, I thought they were um, uh, much more pretentious than I am. And I thought I'd made a terrible mistake uh, that I was more of a veterinarian uh, temperament. But I wasn't going to do basic science again. I said, okay, just stay the course. Uh, it'll all work out in the end. And of course, I, I'm profoundly grateful uh, that I did end up uh, in human medicine after all. Now, you grew up on a farm, did you not? Absolutely. Grew up on a farm. We had horses, pigs, cows. Uh, it was uh, a wonderful place. I only ask that question because, you know, sometimes I, I try to figure out in my brain. I'm one of the only people in my family history that we know of that's had a neurological disorder. But I was born in a very small area of Baltimore, a ghetto area of Baltimore that was called Cherry Hill. And my parents literally lived a block and a half away from the city dump. And the city dump in Baltimore was the first hazardous waste cleanup site when we did that back in the late 70s, early 80s because Bethlehem Steel was there. And Bethlehem Steel was dumping a lot of toxic waste into this dump. And I remember as a child, you know, I used to, uh, you know, we had older kids in the neighborhood 
you know, used to make the little kids run through the edges of the, of the trash to see if we could chase rats out that they could, you know, either hit with a rock or shoot with a BB gun. And I remember, I, I, you know, I, just now, I mean, I'm flashing back to running along that edge of trash. And I wonder, could that have had anything to do with my later development of a neurological disease? You know, absolutely, uh, Montel. Um, so the trash, the toxins, probably heavy metals, solvents, uh, probably increased the inflammation uh, and then further activated those inflammatory genes. The other thing I wanted to mention is we are so parallel. My symptoms began also in 1980. Oh, wow. 20 years of episodic uh, face pain, uh, horrific neuro neuropathic pain. Is it neuralgia? Well, I had trigeminal neuralgia. Uh, it would become more frequent, more severe, more devastating uh, for 27 years. Wow. Seven years into that, I developed optic neuritis uh, mm. with a, a very dim vision in my left eye when I worked out because I, I was an athlete like you. Uh, and I discovered I couldn't race in hot weather because I became blind in my left eye. Uh, and you know, fortunately, my physicians didn't diagnose me because uh, if they had, I probably would not have had kids. Because a few years later, I had uh, my son and then my daughter. And then, you know, uh, in 2000, I developed leg weakness and then developed, uh, was diagnosed with MS at that time. But it was 20 years of uh, horrific pain, episodically, like you, before I got that diagnosis. For me, don't have to, my, my trigeminal neuralgia didn't start until after 20 years. But before that, I had extreme pain, like in, you know, my side, not in my back, in my side and in my feet, the bottom of my feet. It would come and go for 20 years. I have a flash of it for like a day and a half and it would go away. Then another flash of it for a day and a half and it would go away in my side. Then, you know, I had blurriness of vision in my left eye. But I wasn't doing a lot of aerobics back then. It wasn't until I started doing aerobics that I started to realize it's nice, just like yourself. As my body temperature went up, my left eye, I lost vision. Correct. And I started having, you know, bouts and nystagmus in my right eye, which was really strange. And I have, you know, I've been diagnosed with this crap, this thing called after pupillary defect and, you know, neuropathy. And so, you know, I will tell you that since 2000, I, it was really very interesting. My bout that sent me to the doctors was just extreme pain that would not go away. I mean, I'm telling you the worst pain I'd ever felt in my life, in my feet, my calves, my lower calves, my ankles. And I went to see a doctor at Harvard and, you know, they said, yes, you have MS. I went on a medication and that pain stayed the same to the point that I was probably taking every opioid that you can figure. And I was taking some of the opioids that really I should not have been taking. And because I was a celebrity, I had the opportunity to doctor shop. So I was getting extra opioids. And I was blessed that I had a doctor, uh, was Dr. Olick, who used to be the head of the MS Center in Harvard, went on to, I think, USC. Um, Dr. Olick was who diagnosed me. Dr. Olick also said, I'm done with you. I'm not writing any more opioid prescriptions for you. Dude, if I keep doing this, you're going to kill yourself because you are clearly opioid addiction, addicted. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this for you. And I'll tell you, this is very interesting, Dr. Wall. Back in 2000, well, 2001, Dr. Oleg said to me, 
I, oh, I gave up the name, but he said, I have read some information about this marijuana stuff that seems to be a particular type of it that seems to help people with your kind of pain. I'm not going to tell you I recommended this to you because I'm not. I'm not going to tell you to go do it. I'm just going to tell you you're a smart guy. Do the research yourself and you may get some help out of that. I don't know. And then literally he transferred hospitals and I lost touch with him. But back in 2001, I got off of every opioid that I was on and literally shifted over to a very high level CBD laden cannabis that literally helped me. This is long before people were talking CBD, long before people even knew what cannabis was, long before we're in the position where we're in today, when during one of the weirdest elections that we've ever had, you know, four of the most conservative states in the country had passed medical marijuana laws. I'm just throwing that out there. But that, I think, along with, I also say, I changed my diet immediately in 2001. I changed the way I exercised in 2001. I went around, I was walking around back then you know, trying to be a bodybuilder, I weighed about 210 pounds. Um, I was blown up, you know, as big as a house, you know, I had big guns and big chest. And I literally dropped 20 pounds in a, in a four month period of time, got myself down to 190 and 180, um, changed my diet over to a more plant-based diet. And I even for a period of time went vegan. Then I went vegetarian. Then I think I kind of went like, I think they're, they, uh, you know, uh, pescatarian or, you know, a Mediterranean style diet, which was really more of a paleo kind of a diet. And I, um, you know, I think that that's what really, really, really helped me through my journey. No question. And then later on, I started a protocol with the PONS device that we talked, just talked about a little bit before we started, which has a device, it's called a portable neuromodulation device that I've been using now for 10 years. And it turned my life around. Flip the coin, flip the spread. So again, looking back at your life, when you were finally diagnosed, I, I, I like to share with people the fact that I'm telling you, it blew me away. I was devastated. Most depressed I've ever been in my life. But when I started on a journey of trying to mitigate my inflammation and started feeling better, that lifted me out of that depression. What was your diagnosis like for you when you finally got the truth? Um, so my kids were very young. My son's eight, my daughter's five. Um, I do what many physicians do. I'm reading uh, everything that I can. I see that it's a progressive disease. Uh, and so I, you know, I'm a professor. I believe in the best technology. So I find the best center, see the best people, take the newest drugs. And I go downhill anyway. Then I, uh, you know, take more aggressive drugs. I go downhill again. Then I'm put on Tizabrid. I go downhill again. Uh, and you know, this in three years, I'm in a decline wheelchair. And that's when I realized I've got to do everything that I possibly can. So I go back to reading the science myself. Um, and I start uh, instead looking at, at the basic science, the animal model studies. And I decide that mitochondria are key. Uh, and I start working on a supplement cocktail. And that slows my decline. I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm introduced to the work of Lauren Cordain. I've been on a paleo diet for years. I'm still declining. Uh, and I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. I uh, take their course. I have more supplements. And then I had this really big aha, Montel. Like, what if I redesign my paleo diet based on everything I've learned from reading the basic science and functional medicine 
everything I'm taking supplement form, what if I get it from the food? And so that's more research. And the summer of 07, you know, I'm so weak, I cannot sit up anymore. I'm in a zero gravity chair. I'm uh, My face pain is much more horrific. Um, I'm beginning to have brain fog. The My boss has uh, assigned me to a new job that I know I can't possibly do. I'll have to start that in January. Um, so that's very difficult. But this is when I've decided to you know, redesign my paleo diet in this very specific way. And I get that research done. I do that in December. And at December 26th, I, I start this very, very precise, rigid way of uh, doing my paleo diet. And then in January, I you know, start my new assignment, mid-January. The first week, I'm just observing from my wheelchair. I should be able to do that. The next week, I have to get out of my wheelchair, examine these guys and ladies, sit back down, you know, take the notes. And at the end of the week, you know, I'm talking to my wife like, you know, that wasn't too bad. And then the next week, I can do that. And I realize my fatigue is much less. My brain fog is much less. And my pain is definitely less. Uh, and in three months, my physical therapist I've been you know, seeing every week is like, Terry, you're, you're getting stronger. He advances my exercises. And I'm able to sit up at the table with my family for supper. That's a really big deal. That's a big deal. And then I'm able to um, start walking with walking sticks in the hospital. And people are stunned. They haven't seen me walking around the hospital in four years. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I'm beginning to walk around the neighborhood with my walking sticks. And then I have this, this um, idea. I asked Jackie, like, do you think I could uh, ride my bike again? And she goes, well, you know, maybe in the fall, things are going well. Maybe, you know, this fall. And a couple weeks later, it's Mother's Day. I uh, get it in my head that I want to try out riding my bike. We have this emergency family meeting. And Jack says, okay, she'll have my son uh, jog on the left, my daughter jog on the right. She'll follow on the bike. And my kids are teenagers now. And I, I, um, Jack you know, is watching the traffic. It's all clear. And I push off and I bike around the block. You know, my son's crying, my daughter's crying, Jackie's crying, I'm crying, and you can see, I, I still cry talking about this, because that was such a miraculous moment. That was the first time, because he's, Montel, I had accepted what my physicians had told me, all, all of those physicians. Progressive MS, uh, because I was in the secondary progressive phase, functions once lost are gone forever. You'll never be getting stronger. So even though I was doing better, I didn't know what any of it meant. But when I biked that first time, I understood that the conventional understanding of MS was incomplete and how much recovery might be possible. That's when it's like, how how back to normal might I be able to get? And that fall, 
you know, I, I, I kept biking, I kept doing my workout, I kept doing physical therapy. And that fall, we did the Curry Drive together, my, my family and I. And I biked 18.5 miles with my family. Yes. You know, once again, you know, my son's crying, my daughter's crying, my wife's crying, and I'm crying because it felt miraculous. And it still feels miraculous as I relive that moment. So that changed how I thought about disease and health. It changed the way I practice medicine. And it would change the focus of my research. You know, I, I got to tell you, I got to take a little break. Uh, I got to pay some bills. Um, that is phenomenal. I don't know how anybody could not be motivated to want to find out more. And I think that's the biggest thing that we can do, any of us can do, who are on a journey to improve any aspect of our lives, to not take the time and share it with others and explain it to others is almost criminal. I, uh, there's, there's no reason for us to receive a blessing if we can't share blessings with other people. So let me do this. I'm going to take a little break. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about this, this protocol, about, you know, do, were you aware that it was your protocol that was making the changes? Or were you just living the good life thinking, oh, God, I must be getting better. I want to talk a lot more about that. And, and I also want to continue. I think your story did something amazing. And that is give a lot of people a lot of hope, a lot of hope. I always try to tell every person that I meet that has MS, you alone own the definition of who you are. Do not let someone else define you. If for every doctor, and I'm not saying this in any with any aspersion, but if all doctors were gods, none of us would be sick. So that means that, you know, they're not the all-knowing. So the doctor stands before you with a crystal ball and says, you're going to be X, Y, Z. That, really? I mean, how they know that over you, I don't know. But um, let's talk a little bit. I got to take a break, pay some bills. You have been tuned in to Free Thinking with Montel today. My guest is Dr. Terry Walls. I'm telling you, you do not want to miss the rest of this interview. I'm going to take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Hey guys, Montel here and again. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. And today I have a guest who's a professor of medicine at the University of Iowa. She's an educator. She's a researcher. She's an MS patient herself. One who for a period of time ended up in a tilt recline wheelchair for four years due to her multiple stressors until she reclaimed her health by using a, a diet and a lifestyle program that she designed specifically to restore her cellular health. And now she pedals the, her bike to work almost every day and she's training every day and she's sharing her walls protocol, which is an autoimmune protocol that has transformed thousands of lives across the planet. And again, I am so happy to and proud to say I have Dr. Walls here with us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Walls. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Before we went to break, you were talking about, you know, your journey and how you started to feel better and things were changing. Did you, you know, give credit to your diet and this regimen that you were on that was making a difference? Yeah, actually, and so did my neurologist. You know, as I recovered, I went back to see my neurologist, told him I wanted to go off my disease-modifying drugs. Um, he agreed. We tapered, tapered the dose, and I went off. I continued to do really very well. Uh, but 
if I, you know, get exposed to, in my case, gluten, dairy, or eggs, my trigeminal neuralgia comes turning it on in six to 24 hours back to really incapacitating levels of pain. I, and so as long as I maintain my diet, my lifestyle, I'm doing great. Pain-free, no, no problems with fatigue, uh, no problems with mental clarity, getting steadily stronger. Uh, and this is what I see in my clinics as well. As long as people maintain the protocol, they're doing great. If they back off, symptoms uh, return. Well, now, you know, you, you explain that, you know, it's the hunter-gatherer diet that you use. And that's, you know, part of what's incorporated in your walls protocol. Can you explain that just a little bit? I don't want to give away a book. I'm going to tell you. Hold the book. Yeah. A copy of the book? Do you have yeah. a copy? Now, hold it up real quick so people can see. You got it in front of you? Yeah. I want people to be just like what I'm going to do today. I'm going up on Amazon and I'm going to find me a copy of that book and have it delivered to my house by this Thursday. I'm telling you that is a guarantee out my mouth. I ain't lying. I'm buying it today. Um, share a little bit with what, what you have in there. What is this hunter-gatherer diet? Well, and I want to be clear, you know, humans migrated out of Africa all across the globe into many different terrains, uh, grasslands, forests, tundra, uh, deserts. So there are many different versions of the hunter-gatherer diet. Um, we have uh, protein, uh, meat, fish, poultry. We have lots of vegetables, uh, plants, greens, uh, cabbage, onion, mushroom family, but things that are deeply colored, carrots, beets, berries. What we don't have is sugar. What we don't have is highly processed flour-based grain products. Those are new foods and are very inflammatory. Um, and so it, it's a structured way of eating to make sure you have what your cells need to thrive and repair. Uh, and Montel, I'll also acknowledge that I recognize there are people who are um, um, vegetarian or vegan for their deeply held spiritual beliefs. So in fact, in my book, I do provide guidance for those who are vegetarian and vegans. And I provide guidance for those who are ketogenic eaters for, uh, because there are some reasons to be in ketosis as well. But what's really important is I, I describe what are the key nutrients that we know brain cells need and our cells need to do the function of uh, being a brain, uh, doing the cellular work. And if you don't eat that stuff, your cells won't function properly and you will deteriorate and your health will deteriorate. Wow. And, and of course, that's in the book, right? That's probably the, yes. that the, the sorry the majority of explanations that you do is in the book is in diet. Yeah, sure that's the one you're getting the most questions about, right? Correct. That and you know, it, in addition to the diet, we talk about which targeted supplements that we use, and we talk about ways to improve detox, to improve hormonal balance, and we talk a lot about exercise and talk about rehabilitation because. Uh, you want to restore functions that were lost, whether it's balance, um, whether it's uh, strength, uh, hand coordination, because we want to improve uh, your functional capacity. Gotcha. Um, now, should people who are considered healthy, you know, follow your protocol? They, healthy people can do it also, correct? If they claim well, healthy. So a lot of folks are, realize that they have, they're fatigued. So they use a lot of energy drinks. They use a lot of coffee, caffeine to get through the day. 
and thinking like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 now. I'm not, I should be as energetic. I'm 40. I should be as energetic. Uh, in reality, is you should have great energy. You should have fabulous energy. Uh, and what many, many people uh, discover is that by implementing the Wallace Protocol, their energy soars, the mental clarity soars, their mood uh, greatly improves. And what they thought had been normal aging was in fact hidden inflammation. And, and we have a lot of folks, um, we know with the COVID epidemic going on, if you have hidden inflammation or if you have insulin resistance, you're much more likely to have a more severe case uh, of COVID. Uh, and so this is the time you want to improve your nutrition. This is the time you want to improve your blood sugar control. Uh, and the kind of dietary plan that we use improved that inflammation and that blood sugar control in the thousands of patients we took care of uh, in the VA system. Well, you know, that's one thing I want to be sure all the MS listeners out there, one thing that I thought was the most important thing that was, was told to me when I first got diagnosed and even what I read about is that, you know, again, with MS, inflammation is our nemesis. That is the biggest issue that's going on inside of us. And the more we can reduce our inflammation, if we do so by diet and exercise, that's the best way to do it, correct? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And we know that lifestyle is key. The diet quality, uh, in all of the self-care routines that we talk about and teach in my programs, in my book, are key to getting that inflammation, hidden inflammation under control. What are some of the common anti-inflammatory foods that are out there that would be helpful for people to, or and how about, give me some inflammatory foods and well, then anti-inflammatory foods. So the inflammatory foods, um, sugar, of course, all of those sweetened uh, beverages that we drink, uh, very inflammatory. Uh, things with a high glycemic index. So uh, breads, uh, white potatoes, uh, a lot of our pastas made out of grains, that'll dump a lot of sugar into your bloodstream, very inflammatory. The anti-inflammatory foods, greens. You know, uh, the green smoothies, I, I believe you're very fond of Montel. I'm also very fond of those green smoothies. Coach Green's uh, very anti-inflammatory. Uh, beers, very anti-inflammatory. Beets, carrots, anti-inflammatory. Uh, clean proteins. Again, that's a different strategy if you're vegetarian or vegan, uh, but you wanna be sure that you have sufficient protein to uh, maintain and repair all of your cells. Um, and so uh, meat, fish, poultry. Uh, unfortunately, a, a bunch of the uh, animal protein that is produced is produced in these mega factory farms uh, that um, are, are not quite as healthy. So if you're able to uh, financially get uh, grass-fed, grass-finished, that's most ideal. Um, but we clearly need enough protein in our diet so we can make the uh, cellular structures, make the uh, antibodies that we'll need uh, and the immune cells we need to maintain and repair our cells. Um, because we have wear and tear in our cells uh, as you know, we go through everyday life and we have normal aging and our immune cells have to come in and do the repair work. 
And as part of that repair work, it requires a bunch of protein. And that's what also is affecting our mitochondria, correct? Let's talk a little bit about mitochondria and the role of plasma. Yeah, so the mitochondria are um, really the power pack of the cells. Uh, and interestingly enough, they're ancient bacteria that were engulfed by bigger bacteria about a billion and a half years ago. Uh, and they have coexisted in all of our cells. They generate the ATP that our cells use to drive the chemistry of life. Uh, and it, it's vital that those mitochondria do that process very efficiently so the cell can do the job assigned to it. If this mitochondria is struggling, then the cell can't do that job assigned to it, and we're gonna suffer from more inflammation, and we're gonna suffer from more metabolic problems, particularly high blood sugar and high insulin levels. So if your mitochondria aren't doing well, we're gonna have a lot more of that hidden inflammation, and we're gonna have more trouble with blood sugar control. Make us more ill if you have an autoimmune problem, make you more ill if you have a mental health problem. And we now know it will make you more likely to have a more severe case uh, of the influenza vac um, virus or the coronavirus. Yeah, I, I, it's very interesting. I, um, I recently got uh, a summons to appear on a, uh, a jury and I was like, oh, come on, man. I'm not going out here right now, sitting in anybody's courtroom. I don't care what kind of mask I got on because the courtrooms don't have windows, most of them, you know, and, and uh, additionally, I don't feel like sitting that close to anybody else judging the case. So I literally uh, sent in a request to be excused because of the fact that I believe that I am at higher risk just by virtue of the fact that I have, COVID, have MS. Correct. Wish for a more severe version of COVID if I get it, correct? So, so um, certainly, uh, people with an autoimmune disease were worried about that. You and I are over the age of 60, so we're at higher risk because of that. If your vitamin D is low, you're at higher risk because of that. Now, I, I know in some states, the uh, judicial system is moving to virtual. Uh, and so what will that mean for uh, juries and for court testimony? I don't know. I, I, I predict that sometime over the next six months, more and more uh, legal proceedings will be moving to some sort of virtual environment for um, the reasons of how we keep uh, government work going as this pandemic becomes more troublesome. So I, so I don't know how this is all gonna play itself out, but uh, these are, are tough times. At, at the hospital here, you know, the hospitalization rates are dramatically increasing day after day. I don't want to put you on the spot with a, and ask you the crystal ball, but you know, just uh, let's talk a little bit about this COVID thing at the same time yeah. we're talking about MS because I want that people with yeah. MS. We have so many people in this country who, you know, a good 70 million of them believe that we're going down the wrong path with yeah. COVID. It's ignorant to me. What, what I, I want everyone to think about is, uh, what is under your control that will make you healthier and more resistant so you can have a more mild case? So your vitamin D level, you could get a tan, you could take vitamin D supplements, um, your blood sugar levels, you could clean up your diet, get rid of the high glycemic index food, 
eat more fermented vegetables. There is a very interesting study that looked at fermented vegetable intake and the rate of hospitalization for COVID and the death rate by, by society. And they saw that those societies that had a lot of fermented vegetables, sauerkraut and kimchi, had a significantly lower rate of hospitalization and lower death rates. So eat more sauerkraut, eat more kimchi, very easy. Uh, eat more vegetables and uh, cut out the uh, high glycemic index food, the, the uh, sweetened beverages, uh, the breads, pastas, potatoes, and have more vegetables, ashes, yams, um, and protein, however you and your family protein. So those are very simple measures. Uh, make sure you're sleeping well at night. And then you can lower your exposure, that is the virus dose you're going to encounter, encounter by so, you know, being socially distanced, washing your hands. If you wear a mask, you will have a somewhat uh, smaller dose if there are other people shedding virus. If they're also wearing a mask, they will shed less virus uh, as well. So these are all strategies under our control that, that can be very helpful in making it more likely that you'll have either a smaller dose of virus or a more balanced immune system, better blood sugar, less hidden inflammation. And I, I wish, as we're making all these public service announcements, that we would say all of those things. Right. And we don't. I think it's just gotten so politicized. Well, so it's up to you, people like you and me, to tell people there's so much under your control to make your um, chronic health problems less severe, whether it's an autoimmune issue, a mental health issue, and to make you in a, a better place at the point that you're exposed to the virus or the influenza virus. Because we will likely all be exposed to both of those viruses sometime in the coming year. And we now know, you know, just like the influenza virus, it's been around for a long time. This COVID virus has probably been around for a long time. We just happened to pick it up in humans. And now this is, you know, I think people are trying to look forward and say, well, this is going to be all over here uh, come March if they get a vaccine together. It's never going to be all over. Right? It's never going to be all over. It'll continue to mutate. So we'll get a vaccine. Um, it, it'll be less of a problem, but it was not going to become a, a zero problem. Um, and so you'll still want to be as healthy as you can be. You still want to get rid of your hidden inflammation. You still want to improve your blood sugars. You still want to improve your mood. And I bet people want to live, you know, a long, full, healthy life with their brain and body working well into their 60s, 80s. 90s, 100, and beyond. Absolutely. Hold your book up one more time for me, please. I want to make sure everybody sees it and knows they can go. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, why don't I? Right. There now. I'm going to give you both books. There we go. It's The Walls Protocol and The Walls Protocol Cooking for Life. So you need to go up on Amazon today, order both these books. I'm telling you. You know, if in fact the thousands of people who have claimed to have made changes in their lives are telling the truth, why not take control of those things that you can take control of? Dr. Walt, thank you so much. Honestly, anything else you want to add? Hey, let's talk about Bible and I got something for you because you are 
you really have just an unbelievable uh, uh, demeanor, attitude, everything about you, I think is unbelievable. You know, let's talk a little bit about what you think about, and I've been working with several doctors around the country on this issue, about the fact that we're not paying attention to what is going to be our next pandemic, and that's going to be a pandemic of poor mental health because of this pandemic. Well, uh, absolutely. Um, and I think we are paying nearly enough attention to empowering people to take advantage of what is under their control, to address diet quality, to improve sleep, um, to learn how to cook, to uh, add uh, fermented uh, vegetables. Um, if we had spent as much time talking about learning how to cook, uh, having some sauerkraut, uh, meditating, turning off your computer so you uh, go to sleep at night, we'd be improving our health overall. We'd be improving our mental health. You know, and uh, the, you know, the other comment that I, I want to tell your audience is, in addition to teaching the public, you know, writing books, uh, making uh, online courses to teach people how I do this, I uh, conduct the research. Uh, and we've done uh, four studies. Uh, uh, all of which have had uh, you know, very exciting uh, results. We're writing up the results of our most recent study. We'll be sending that off for publication. I am now uh, doing a study comparing uh, basically the WALS protocol, diet, meditation, exercise, no drugs, in the newly diagnosed MS patient to patients who are doing the best drugs also in the newly diagnosed MS patients. And we'll be following them uh, for a year abstracting the medical records, seeing um, how the disease goes. And we'll be able to answer the question, are people hurting themselves by declining drugs and just doing diet and lifestyle? Or is it just as effective as doing diet and lifestyle? Uh, and we're very excited about that. And of course, we're writing grants to do the next iteration of my study comparing diet, um, swank diet, walls diet, dietary guidelines, and following folks for two years and seeing what happens uh, to outcomes and to brain structures measured by MRIs. So, and 10 years ago, when I was doing these studies, uh, you know, I was roundly uh, criticized by the conventional neurology community. Uh, but we did the research. We uh, told the public, uh, and I'm very transparent, I disclose uh, everything to the public. And now, you know, now I have funding from the MS Society, million dollars to do, to do my research. Uh, the, I'm part of the dietary um, uh, uh, subgroup for the MS uh, Wellness uh, Committee. And the university uh, here at, at Iowa is proud of and they're very proud of the fact that it's amazing studies funded by philanthropy because that's the money who have resources who then in turn make sizable contributions. So I can do these very innovative studies to answer the question, what is the role of diet and lifestyle for controlling this serious autoimmune condition? It's a study that needs to be done now. And this is being done through your Walls Therapeutic Lifestyle Research Fund? Correct, correct. People can go up online and get more information about that? Yes, if you go to terrywalls.com, 
Uh, we have links uh, to our research where you can donate. We have links there uh, if you want to learn more about our online program. Uh, 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 for those who want to come see me uh, as a patient. You know, Dr. Walsh, you just gave me a pretty good idea. I'm telling you, we ought to do a television show together and uh, do a cooking show, you and I. I that would be lovely. I would love to do that. I think put it online. I'm telling you, I think it would be a really, really, really good program teaching people how to take control of their lives right now. Absolutely. I, I think that's critical. Uh, and one of the our favorite recipes, we have some favorite recipes for liver. People think liver, you know, they can't imagine eating liver. Our family, it's one of our favorite meals uh, is liver. Uh, and that's something we have once a week because it is a superfood for your brain, for your eyes, and for your immune health. So wow. I would say liver liver for uh, you and your crew, and to make some more cooked greens. Um, so it would be an honor. We would love to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk to some of my, my people. I'm going to get my people to talk to your people. Let's figure out how we get this done. Absolutely. I'm telling you, I, th I think it would be I think it would be a big hit because people right now, there's so much information out there that does no one any good <laughs> at all. <laughs> information like this can help change lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now, you know, I'm almost out of time. Um, anything else you want to add? I love uh, your mission as well. We need to empower people to, so they know they have much more control over their health destiny than they realize. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I do a show that's uh, called The Balancing Act. Uh, and I'm going to recommend you to be one of our guests and not only a guest, but maybe get you in studio so you can do a segment with us. It would be really, really, really great. That would be wonderful. I would love that. Absolutely, Dr. Wells. Well, I'm telling you, you've, been, you've heard it here. You've been listening to Free Thinking with Montana Day. And our guest has been Dr. Walls, Terry Walls, whose books are out there right now. One is called, hold them up again, Terry. Right there. You, said, oh, you got the backs. You got the backs to me. <laughs> there you go. One's called the Walls Protocol, and the other one's called Walls Product Ross Walls Protocol Cooking for Life. Go up on Amazon like I am going to do today, and get yourself a copy. And I got to say thank you so much for tuning in to Free Thinking with Montel. Make sure you tune into the next one. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please send us your comments. <laughs> Thank you.